Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Thanks to Jamie and the team for leading us so well in worship tonight. Um, and welcome to everyone of you for joining us. We praise God for allowing us to be here. And the room is looking pretty full. So uh, praise God for every one of you. So tonight we continue in our series titled The Corinthian Chaos. Last week we saw that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. We heard that salvation is through God's design, it's through the foolishness of the cross, it's through God's foolish choice, and we also saw that salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, this evening's passage actually fits into the body of last week's sermon. In fact, it fits into last week's text. If you, can, if you start reading from verse 26 of chapter 1 until verse 5 of chapter, of chapter 2, you'll see three so that's. The first so that is found in chapter 1 and verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The second one is found in chapter 1 verse 31. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Tonight we'll consider the last one found in chapter 2 and verse 5. And it says, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, if you're looking for where we are, we are in 1 Corinthians, by the way. And all of that was in chapter 1 and chapter 2. See, the whole sermon tonight is going to be working towards that climax, that everything that Paul says from verses 1 till verse 4 will be so that the faith of the Corinthians and of us by application would not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. You see, Paul here was on a mission, and in this passage, he is trying to make it clear, he's making a clear point to the church in Corinth, and again, by application to us tonight, that it is the power of God in preaching that makes the sermon effective. It is not the paintbrush that makes for a great artist. It is not a microphone that makes you a great singer. It is not the bricks that make you a master brick, a master builder. But in the same way, it is not the preacher that makes for an effective, fruit-bearing sermon. The, pre- the preacher, though gifted, is only a vessel. He is only an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer. Now, as I was practicing this, this afternoon, I paused and I stopped and I, I just thought to myself, this sermon makes it sound like I am saying that we don't need gifted preachers or I think that preachers are not important. And I don't want you sitting there thinking, but what about, what about Johnny Mac? What about John Piper? What about, uh, no man, uh, R.C. Sproul? What about all these famous guys whom I love? What about Pastor Mark or Pastor Charles? Are you telling me all these guys are not important? If that thought comes up in your mind during this sermon, I want to quench that because my job is also to preach. What I want to say this evening is that the paintbrush, though it is important, 
The microphone, though it is important, even the bricks, though they are important, are in the same way the preacher, though he is important and must be gifted and he must sharpen his tools and he must sharpen himself or improve himself in the arts and the science of preaching, I want us to know that if God does not work through his preaching, we will not see any fruit regardless of how gifted he is. That's the point that Paul is making, and that's the point of our sermon tonight. It is God who saves us. It is God who is working in us and through us to make us pure and without blemish for that day. Paul reminded the church, if you are in 1 Corinthians, read chapter 26, chapter 1 and verse 26 with me. He says this, reminding the church of how they were saved. Remember, it was not because of man, but because of God. Verse 26, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Many of you were wise according to world. Many, sorry, let me start again. Verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Why? Verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him, because of God, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Why? So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, 15 years ago, a pastor by the name of Reuben May preached a sermon titled, The Penalty of Sin. He explained to the church that they are all born in sin and because of sin, they were deserving of the full wrath of God. He then went on to share the good news. He shared that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and that whosoever believes in him will have their sins forgiven and live for all eternity with Jesus Christ. It was on that day when this pastor preached that my soul was saved. Who shared the gospel with you? Do you remember that person's name? See, the the point that Paul is making is that that day when Pastor Reuben shared that gospel message to me and to to the church, the day that X shared the gospel to you, it was the Spirit of God that saved you and it was the Spirit of God that saved me. It was the Spirit of God at work. It was God who chose us. It is because of Him that we are in Christ. It is because of Jesus that we are made righteous. We have been redeemed and we are being sanctified by God and for God. And therefore, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, we live in an age where names draw crowds. With the rise of social media, we've seen the rise of influencers who live to put content for people to consume. As soon as they blow up, with millions of likes, millions of comments, millions of shares, millions of subscriptions, their names start to draw crowds. So they put them on billboards for big brands. 
They become stars of adverts. They are used by club promoters. They're used in movies and series. They're used by concert organizers. Even political parties use them. If you want your event to draw crowds, hire yourself an influencer and you'll get the numbers you've dreamed of. But Carsten mentioned last week that this mentality has spilled into the church where we have made for ourselves pastor influencers that are able to draw crowds. They share stories upon stories. They pursue relevance. They speak with eloquence, humor, and superiority. Do you want a packed sanctuary, a packed auditorium? Invite pastor so-and-so, and people will come. Put his face on a poster, and man, you will draw a crowd. Is this what God is calling for in the church? Is this the criteria that we must use as Central Baptist Church when looking for our next pastor? No. Consider the Apostle Paul. He knew what authority he carried as an apostle. He knew his credentials, and yet he says in our passage, read with me chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, And I, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Verse 4. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. Let's pray together. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God, you had promised that, Lord, your spirit will come and he will tabernacle in the hearts of man. We read in Acts chapter 3 that he came. Today we remember Pentecost Sunday when the Spirit of God descended on man and he lived within us, convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So Lord, tonight as I speak, I pray that it will be your very Spirit that speaks through me. Lord, I am not exempt from this sermon. So I pray even now that you would forgive me for self-ambition that may be hidden in my heart or any other sins that may arise, Lord, cleanse me that I may be a clean vessel ready for use. As I talk about the power of God in preaching, God, I pray for your unction tonight. I pray for a move of your spirit through the preaching of your word, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of man. Lord, making wise the simple, and making the wicked righteous, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I would like us to notice this night is the messenger. The messenger. We see this in verses 1 and verse 2. Verse 1 starts with, and I. And I. You see, Paul starts with the emphatic Greek word, cargo, which stresses that Paul was not making an exception of himself. Before there were, there were converts in Corinth, Paul determined to have a message, a method, and a motive in, in his preaching that would please God and not man. You see, 
He says in verse 1, Even I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul knew that the gospel he preached was not something that men made up. He did not receive it from any man, nor was he taught it. Rather, he received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. We see this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to 12. He knew that eloquence was insufficient to save souls. The power to save is in the gospel and not in man. Have you ever heard of TED Talks? These are talks by industry professionals in technology, T, education, E, and design, D, spelling TED. TED Talks came out of nowhere and they took the world by storm. In fact, if you go to the TED Talk website, you will be pleasantly surprised by the skill of the orators on that website. The speakers give their talks with poise, with rhetoric, and with a great punch. They are short, they're informative, they're efficient, they're effective, and they are engaging. They are so good that some people were even suggesting that pastors need to learn to give TED Talks and stop their long, boring sermons. See, the Corinthian church was surrounded by philosophers. They were surrounded by industry professionals, if you will, who were great with their words. They delivered great TED Talks informing people of one philosophy and another. But listen to what MacArthur says. He says, Paul deliberately refused to customize his message or adjust his delivery to suit the Corinthians' philosophical bent or their cultural tastes. Why? The Apostle Paul wanted to make it clear that lives are transformed, hearts are renewed by the means of the Word of God and nothing else. It is this understanding that would help them to understand and appreciate the power of the gospel message. John Piper, in his book, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals, contrasts the Bible-oriented preacher to the entertainment-oriented preacher. He says this, The entertainment-oriented preacher seems to be at ease, talking about many things that are not drawn out of the Bible. In his message, he seems to enjoy talking about other things more than he enjoys talking about what the Bible teaches. His words seem to have a self-standing worth as interesting or fun. They are entertaining, but they don't give the impression that this man stands as the representative of God before God's people to deliver God's message. In contrast, The Bible-oriented preacher, on the other hand, does see himself that way. I am God's representative, sent to God's people to deliver a message from God. He knows that the only way a man can dare to assume such a position is with a trembling sense of unworthy servanthood under the authority of the Bible. He knows that the only way he can deliver God's message to God's people is by being rooted in it and by saturating his sermon with God's own revelation in the Bible. Church, there's a challenge for both the preacher this evening and for the listener. Spurgeon notes that live on the substantial doctrines of grace and you will outlive and outwork those who delight in the pastry and syllabubs of modern thought. Syllabubs, what is that? 
Syllabubs means a sweetened drink or topping made of milk or cream, beaten with wine or liquor, and sometimes further thickened with gelatine served as a dessert. Preacher, do not run to the syllabubs of this modern age at the expense of the scriptures. Don't be consumed by, the ambition, by your ambition to be a great orator who could keep people on the edge of their seats, using great illustrations and flowery words to impress people. Do not give into the pressures of being a performer on the stage. Believe in the power of God in preaching. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with, great, with complete patience and teaching. For church, the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Pastors, teachers of the Bible, determining your heart like Paul says in verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Fads will come and go. Trends will come and go. Determined to preach Christ crucified. When you step into the pulpit, do not start by the power of positive thinking. Start with the fact that people are sinners in need of a savior and Jesus died for sinners like you and for me. Church, there's a message for you as well. Do not be drawn into the entertainment or the eloquence or the man behind the pulpit. So much so that you page the bulletin. Well, we don't page anymore. We scroll. You scroll down the bulletin to see who's preaching on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. And the name provided will determine if you come to church or not. Be a noble Berean. Hungry for the word, receiving it with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Don't just look for expository preaching, but be an expository listener. Listen attentively to consume the bread of life, regardless of the man who is dishing it. For you've come to listen to the words of God from his instrument. So let that be our heart's desire. But how did Paul do this? We see the method in verses 3 and 4. The method, verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. You see, Paul had suffered persecution in his life. His life was being threatened and he fell ill. We don't know which of these three he was currently going through as he penned these words. We don't know which of these three brought the sense of weakness, fear, and trembling, but we know that God indeed used them to humble the preacher. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecution, with calamities. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew the temptation. 
He knew the temptation that is there from being a preacher of God's word, from being gifted to thinking, I can do it on my own. He recognized that his weaknesses, his trembling, the fear that he felt were God sent to remind him that, Paul, you are fallible. You need me to do my work. Paul was totally dependent on God for the result. So great was his sense of weakness and fear. So profound his lack of trust in himself that he, sh- he quaked, he trembled. Those are the secrets of strength in all preaching. Those are the words of a commentator named Morgan. Church, our flesh desires self-glory. We crave the approval and the admiration of others. We grow up watching and reading stories of superheroes because deep down we want to be a superhero. So we, we, we want for ourselves success. We want people to know more about our successes than we want people to know about our failures. And since people who achieve remarkable things earn the favor of others, we are tempted to believe that they also earn the favor of God. This is not what Paul taught. What he taught the church in Corinth and what he's teaching us tonight is that God's grace shines through his use of broken vessels. Through our weakness, our God is strong. Through our suffering that we experience in this age, he brings to light our weakness. He brings to light our helplessness. And our weakness and our helplessness serve as a reminder that our strength comes from God. We are but fallible men, but God is the strength of our hearts and our portions forever. If it wasn't for God, we would be useless. John Bloom writes, here's the secret. The more aware you are of God's grace, the more humble, prayerful, thankful, patient, gracious, content, and joyful you will be. And you are more aware of God's grace when you are weak. God will use the strengths he has given you. He certainly used Paul's strengths. But thank God for your weaknesses because it is there that God's strength is often most clearly displayed. Secondly, the Apostle Paul says about his method, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Last week Sunday we heard a sermon by Pastor Mark where he said, When the gospel is preached, souls get saved. They are not saved because of the great gospel presentation but because the Spirit of God has moved in the hearts of men. We don't need to beg people from the pulpit via an altar call to call them to come to Christ. As an aside, I'm not shooting down altar calls or preaching persuasively, but I am saying that the power to save lies in the words of the gospel empowered by the Spirit. And if that is true, then we must preach the gospel, for when the gospel is preached, church souls get saved. And thirdly, the Apostle Paul's method was in demonstration of the Spirit and in power. There was nothing impressive about the Apostle Paul's preaching. Though he preached with a great sense of weakness, fear and trembling, his his preaching carried with it much conviction and power. The Corinthians had a front row seat to the power of God proclaimed through the preaching of his word. 
Church, we too can testify that we have seen the demonstration of the Spirit and His power in preaching for souls have been saved and added to our number here at Central. Children in Awana are telling their leaders that they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We've seen fruits of salvation in youth ministry. We've seen students come to faith in Christ and grow in their understanding of the gospel. We've seen Bible studies grow as the word is being, is being taught. We've seen the church grow here in Acadia and plant a church in the east of Pretoria. We've seen the church grow for 10 years in the east of Pretoria because of the faithfulness to the preaching of God's word. Church, God is at work. And through his spirit, our flaws and our shortcomings are are put aside as as he humbles us to see that if God does not work, we are to be pitied. But praise God that God has been work here. He's been at work here at Central. Praise God for his spirit that works through the preacher of the preaching of his word. Finally, consider the motive. Verse 5: So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the whole point of my sermon tonight. The sermon was not to discourage growth in the arts and the science of preaching. It was not an indictment on on the use of illustrations. It's not to say, take your foot out of 2022 and live in ancient Bible times, preaching sermons with no application or relevance to today. The point is not to give preachers a pass to be monotonous and irrelevant or even boring. But the point is that the power is in the Spirit using the Word of God to transform your life. If the Spirit is not at work, there will be no fruit. So church, when you come every Sunday or any other day when God's Word is being preached or taught, won't you pray one of these three things? And just note, some of these prayers were penned by Tim Chelly's. The first thing you should consider when you come to listening of God's word or the first thing you should pray when you come to listen to the preaching of his word is pray this, Lord, give me ears to hear you speak from heaven to us. Lord, give us ears to receive your reign and spiritual dew which never return in vain. But ripen a harvest, either of corn or weeds, of grain or of judgment. Lord, open our ears that we may have eyes to see. Secondly, pray for a heart. A heart that is prepared to learn to love any of his words. Pray for his law to be your counselor and to be ruled by it. Pray that it will be your physician and, be a, that, and you would be a patient under it. Pray that his word would be your schoolmaster and that you would be obedient to it. Lastly, pray for eyes. Eyes to see past the man to behold your God. Lord, who am I that I should promise any service to you? Who is your master Sorry, who is your minister that he should do any good to me? Without your grace and heavenly call, be therefore pleased to reveal your own spirit to me and to work in me that which you require. May you pray those three things. 
Lord, give me ears to hear. Give me a heart prepared to learn. And give me eyes to see past the man and behold our God. Next week, we will look at the message. Let's pray. Years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not that it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there multiplied to me. And there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. By God's word, at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned. Till my guilty soul, imploring, turned to Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I, gl- I gladly own him as my king. Now my raptured soul can gladly sing of Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. And there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. So Lord, may we be a church that decides to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.